Hello, this is Pastor Galen from the First Nazarene Church in Chicago, and welcome to our podcast. Hey, before we hear the message today, I simply wanted to say that no matter where you're at, we're glad that you're listening today. We hope this message will inspire you, instruct you, and help you grow in your relationship with Jesus. And if you live in the Chicagoland area, maybe this is the first step for you joining us in person sometime. Or if you want to, you can always check out our online live services every Sunday on our website at firstnaz.cc. Thanks again for joining us. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning. Oh, we're asleep this morning. Woo, we're gonna have some fun. Good morning, everybody. And uh, there we go. Hey, welcome into First Nazarene. Thank you for choosing to be in worship with us today. Uh, if you're new around here, my name is Galen. I'm the lead pastor here, and I sincerely hope you know. Um, I know I say that every week, but I'm glad that you're here, especially if you're newer. I understand how big of a step it is to maybe attending church for the very first time. So we're incredibly thankful uh, that you are here. And if you are new to the church, I'd love to meet you if I haven't had a chance to do so yet. Uh, after the service, before the service sometime. Uh, I'd love the chance to meet you. If you are new, you are joining us today in the second week of our All In series. Uh, here's the thought behind this. Uh, as we journey towards Easter together in the church history, normally it's 40 days uh, where there's a time of examination. It's a little bit of like digging deeper. Uh, how can we grow closer to God during this time? Uh, as a church, we're going to be looking at the hard sayings of Jesus. Uh, I probably should have called this series something of like, not what you wanted to hear, but what you need to hear, right? Uh, a lot of us, maybe, if you're only surrounded by people that ever tell you what you want to hear, <laughs> you know you need in your life people that tell you what you need to hear too. And a lot of these sayings of Jesus kind of fall into that category. I mean, I think we all know this, but I think it's a great reminder. I don't think God is as interested in our outward appearances. Like, oh look, I'm here on Sunday and I like dress nice today and I look good and people look at me and you know, they know I'm a good person. Actually, scripture says uh, man looks at outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And in this series, we're looking at these deeper sayings of Jesus that will maybe cause a little bit of our heart to change and to turn a little bit so that we become who Jesus wants us to be. So I know some of these is like, I'd rather not talk about this today, but I would encourage you to lean in and then to respond every week. Jesus, I wanna follow you, I'm all in. If you weren't here last week, I would encourage you to go back and watch that message. It sets the tone for the whole series that to be a follower of Jesus means to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow him. That's in the app or on YouTube, anywhere else where you can find it. Today, uh, I've entitled this message, I Am For You. And if you want to follow along, it's in Luke 6. You can do that in the app or in your Bibles if you've got those as well. Uh, I want to open today, begin by telling you a story about a deep, dark, wonderful, beautiful, very conflicting time in my life called high school. Uh, I remember when I was a freshman in high school, uh, I played sports. I played sports then. I don't so much anymore. I don't enjoy getting hurt, so I don't play sports anymore. Um, but in high school, I played football. I played basketball. Now, I remember the fall of my freshman year, God had gifted me. I was actually pretty good at sports. And I played on varsity for the football team and the basketball team. And there was an upperclassman that was like the cool kid. Everybody loved him. He was the life of the party. Everybody wanted to be friends with him. And he kind of took me under his wing. And I was like, oh, yeah, new friends is cool, upperclassmen. And one day you go to the high school dance, because only good things happen at high school dances, for sure. 
and we go, and he says, here, you know, Galen, we're friends, and you know, you have your friend um, that's a girl who's also a freshman, you know, and I don't know her. Can you make the introduction for me? You ever been in that spot? I want you to go up to her and tell her, hey, you know him? Yeah, he likes you. I love how direct we are in high school, by the way. Like, I like you, I don't know. So I said, sure, man, I'm your friend, I got your back. So I go up to her, and I say, hey, you, you know him, right? Yeah, yeah, we're all friends. Hey, I, I wanna tell you, he likes you. She kind of smiled, and she goes, well, that's actually gonna be a problem. I said, why? Well, it's gonna be a problem because I don't like him. I actually like you. <laughs> Weird little, like, high school drama, like, ah! What do you go back and tell your friend at that point? And he took from that moment on, just to sum up the rest of the story, he's convinced in his mind that I walked over there, I'm like, yeah, you know that guy? Yeah, he's a terrible person. You should have nothing to do with him. You should like me instead. That's what he convinced himself of. So, to him, I became a sworn enemy. And so then it was um, mocking and insulting and like excluding from everything and everybody liked him, so whatever he said kind of went. You know, it started off, I would say like, you know, it didn't escalate too much. It was fit in those categories. Then it turned into like egging my car and like calling like death threats. Okay, this is not okay. I was an enemy to him. It's probably one of the only times in my life I have truly felt hated, insulted, excluded, and rejected. Now let me ask you, if I put those on the screen for you too, has there been a time where people have done things, said things, where you have felt hated, where you felt excluded? They could have included you, they knew you were there and they purposely chose not to. Insulted, oh, they said it right to your face. Or rejected, you know what, no. Maybe it was a boss that said I don't want you anymore. Maybe it was a family member who said, yeah, no, I'd rather not you be there. Does a person come to mind? Does a name come to mind? Do you feel like the rising emotion and anger and rage coming with it? Now, let me just ask you, like, can we, all, we can be honest, right? What if I asked you today, if you could respond to that person free of consequence, nothing bad will happen to you. You can say what you want. Oh, they hit you. Oh, you get them back. Would you do it? Would you? As a follower of Jesus, he has something to say to us in these moments. Jesus gathers his disciples and he says these words. He said, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. And then he says this. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, when they insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. And let's keep our context straight here. Jesus is saying, when people make fun of you for your faith in me, when people are like, you're a Christian, how ignorant could you be? How could you have faith in Jesus? When they're making fun of you, insulting, mocking you, whatever it is, because of your faith in Jesus, Jesus go on and he actually says, blessed are you because you remember the prophets that came before you? You read your Old Testament? These were people who lived for me and they did the same things to them. So when people do this to you, remember them and you stand right with God. Yet for all of us here today, I also wonder, when we have the people that are our enemies, whether or not how we feel towards them, but they are acting as enemies towards us, how do we respond to them? Jesus then goes on and he says, 
But I say to you who are willing to listen, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who hurt you. Really, Jesus? I look at that, and again, it's one of those things I'm like, well, Jesus, couldn't you be like, yeah, they're terrible, awful people, and you just leave them alone. And he says, go and love them, do good, bless instead of curse, and pray for them. Why? I love one author writes it this way. Giving enemies the same love as others is almost an irrational idea in the context of our normal human social contracts. Loving enemies violates our very natural instincts. And yet, Jesus calls us to love them. His call is not merely passivity in the presence of enemies. Well, I'm here and I just won't be angry towards them. No, but instead, love aggressively pursued, actively loving those who hate us. Jesus goes on to explain what this could actually look like. He says, if someone slaps you on the cheek, offer the other one also. If someone demands your coat, give them their your shirt too. Do to others what you would like them to do to you. Some of you learned the golden rule, maybe even in school, you're not recognizing these are actually the words of Jesus. He says, if you love those who love you, why should you get credit for that? No, even the sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to only those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that. No, but I say, love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Jesus is saying, this is what the picture of love looks like. And in these verses, he's saying, when you love others, you should not expect anything in return. He repeats actually three times in the whole context, what credit is that to you? What good is that to you? Don't even the sinners, doesn't the rest of the world, oh, you love me, I'll love you too. But the way of Jesus requires us to lay down our lives and love all people, whether or not they return it. I guess I, I think of it this way. I go home today, it's been church, it's been great, it's been fun being with you all. I go home, I see my wife, and frankly, it's been a rough week in our house. Uh, two of the three tiny humans are down with strep right now. Uh, I've been gone more, it was a funeral this weekend, and so my wife has like even done more to serve. And So I go home, like, babe, I appreciate you, I love you, like I wanna show you how much I love you. Go ahead, sit down on the couch, take off your socks, I got the foot lotion, I'm gonna give you a foot rub, because I love you. She'll be like, oh, you're so sweet. That's exactly what she sounds like, by the way. No, it's not. So she'd sit on the couch, and I'd rub her feet, you know, five minutes, and my hand hurts, but I keep going anyway, because that's what, what real love looks like. And I rub her feet, and she goes, thank you. I feel so loved. Thank you for noticing. You know what? You're welcome. And then, I take off my size 12s. <laughs> I throw a pillow on her lap. I take my nasty, fungus-filled left foot, and I put it right in front of her face. It's as bad as it sounds. I need help. I'll, I'll fix it. Don't worry. And I say, your turn. Rub my feet. I thought you did that because you love me. Oh, I, I do love you. Now it's my turn. Real love does not expect response. Real love gives of itself whether or not there's any response. Jesus saying, lend even if they don't give it back. Give your coat too, even if they don't respond. I recall, I would ask you to recall and picture. Jesus who goes to the cross, think of this, who offers up himself, gives of himself, sacrificing, selflessly serving and loving the world 
to die for them, to die for all of us, for the forgiveness of our sins, to give us new life, freedom for our addictions, freedom to live a new life with all the shame and the guilt of the past gone, making us new and giving us a new hope and a new future. He does that for all of us, even for those who would not respond. And God, if he is all-knowing, and I believe he is, knows that some people will not choose that love, but even for them, he loves them so much, he would love them. And he gives us this free will of whether or not we will choose him. And ultimately, I believe that God gives us exactly what we want. If we want life with him, we get it for an eternity. If we want life without him, he gives us that as well. He says, I would do this for you because I love you. Love expects nothing in return. So when you think about loving your enemies, you love them even though they will probably never return it. This is what love looks like. And Jesus says, if you love in these ways, he goes on. I want you to see it. He says, then your reward from heaven will be very great. You will truly be acting as children of the Most High, for he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. Think of anybody in your life, unthankful and wicked. That's how he acts. You must be compassionate, as your Father is compassionate. All right, let's be real. We're being honest today, right? Love your enemies. Galen, I don't want to do that. <laughs> um, you know, I think there's three ways that we respond. If someone is mean to you, someone insults you, excludes you, rejects you, first thing you can do, fight back. Oh, you said it to me? I'm coming back at you. Fight. And most of you, maybe you do that, maybe you don't. But I think the second one is when they do that to you, the second option, ignore them. And I think most of us would view that as like, well, I'm taking the high road. I'm not elevating to their level. I'm not gonna respond in that way. Like, I'm not fighting, so I'm just going to ignore. And most of us, I think, are like good people, and that's what we try to do. But Jesus says, no, I need you to go one step further. Instead of just ignoring, no, love them. And if you're here, you're like, why would Jesus tell us to do this? Why? I think there's two reasons, quickly. One for God and one for us. When we respond in this way, because nobody else in the world does this, nobody else in the world loves their enemies. When we respond in this way, we are showing the world the God that we believe in. Because most people will never read a Bible, and the more our culture shifts, fewer and fewer people will ever come to church. But when we respond in this way, God is making his appeal to the world through us. This is what love looks like. This is what mercy, this is what compassion looks like. Why would you respond in that way? Because Jesus has done this for me and I believe he wants to do the same for you too. We may be the only Jesus that people ever see. So we respond in this way to point them to God for God. But then secondly, for us. Because you could say like, well that's great for Jesus, but let me be real, like I don't really want to love them at all. Why should I choose to love my enemies? I think God wants us to love our enemies because it keeps our heart from being hardened with hatred. Because even if you just ignore them, there's a bitterness that takes root in the soul. Oh, I know what they did to me, and mm, I know I'm never gonna do anything, but I still know what they did. Instead, when we actively choose to love, that love begins to take the place of hatred instead. It keeps our heart soft towards the things of God. We believe that God is love, 1 John 4, and that love takes action for God, so love the world he gave, John 3, 16. So if that spirit of God lives within us, there should be no room for hatred. We choose to love, because that is what Jesus has done for us. It's for God, it points them to him, but it's also for you. Keep your heart soft. Don't be hardened 
by hatred. This is why we must love our enemies. Practically today, what does it look like to love? How do we love our enemies? And the first thing I would say this, to love your enemies, it must require us to keep the perspective of Jesus. I love when Paul writes this, you'll see this from Romans chapter five. He says, God demonstrates his love. So love isn't just a thought we have, it is love and action. God has demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let's be honest, we're all sinners, me included. And in fact, I don't think I would want to lead anyway like a perfect church of only perfect people who look down on the world, no thank you. We're all on a journey of becoming more like Jesus and we're looking at him and we're growing together. We have to remember that we were once far from God. We were sinners and even then in that spot when we didn't love God, he loved us. Christ died for us. For if while we were God's enemies, interesting language, because of our sin, because of the way we were living, because we were living contrary to God's ways, doing only what we wanted and we see that sin and death are the result. Because of that, we are enemies to God, but then Christ comes and dies for us that we may be reconciled. For we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, should we be saved through his life? Friends, if you're here today and you're not following Jesus, that is the invitation. Come and follow me. I can forgive you of your sin. I want to make you new. I'm not here to condemn you, I'm here to love you, John 3, 16 and 17. I want to love you, I want to show you a new way forward, give you a new hope in life. Again, not what about outward appearances, but real inward change, changing who you are so that you might have life with him forever. If that's you today, that's your response. Jesus, I want to live for you. And then as we follow him obediently, we love and we follow his commands, love your enemies. We must remember God loved us, so we must love others. So again, I'll say to actually live out Love your enemies, remember Jesus's perspective. And I guess I would say it this way. If someone does something awful to you, call you a name. I don't know if they've watched Elf recently, like you cotton-headed ninny muggets, I don't know. Call you a name. What do you think of them in that moment? Oh, you're awful and I just, mm, I wish somebody would tell you what's up. Should I be the one telling, should they tell you what's up? Oh. Stop for a second. That's what you think of them. What do you think God thinks of them in that moment? I'm sure he's not happy with how they would have responded. If they're not living to love God and love and serve others, it's probably, yeah, he's probably not super overjoyed about how they're reacting. Yet I view God in that moment as a parent, parent of an adult child where you no longer can provide safety and control and control their environment and, and your child is making decisions that you would rather not them make because you see the hurt that it's bringing to them and the world around them. But yet, as a parent, you're always holding out hope that maybe one day they would turn and choose better decisions and a better road. I think that very picture is how God looks at those people, even when they're angry at you. Yeah, I'm not really happy about that. I would rather you live differently because your sin is hurting you and those around you. Always holding out hope that you may change and that he might have the opportunity to do that within them. So when someone insults us, instead of seeing them how we see them, the prayer becomes, God, would you help me to see people as you see them? Because you still care and love them. I wanna show you one more time this passage of scripture. I read it earlier, but I want you to notice the very ending. He says, when you do these things, you'll be living as children of the most high, but it ends with this. You must be compassionate as your father is compassionate. Other translations must say, you must be merciful because God is merciful. I like this idea of 
compassion. So maybe some of you have heard this before. If you break down that word compassion, the etymology, what does it mean? Compassion literally means to suffer with someone. So you say, God suffering with us, God sends his son Jesus to take on the humanity and the human experience, to experience and suffer all that we suffer, sickness, sin is placed on him on the cross, even death, he suffers with us. And yet now we are called to do this for others? How do we suffer with them? For me, this was a thought that has changed how I view people, and if you haven't heard of it before, maybe you would remember this. Remember, oftentimes, hurt people hurt people. I've met very few evil people in the world. Most people try to be good people and live good lives. So if someone is hurting you, I would ask you to look at the heart behind the hurt. Are they hurt themselves and so now what they're doing is lashing out to hurt other people? When we take this perspective and the perspective that God loves them and wants what's best for them, we can begin to have compassion. I know you said that to me, which means there's probably something going on in your life too. So how can I join you in that? How can I be a part of your growth and even your healing? Have compassion just as the Lord has compassion on them. Jesus says, love them. When I think of love, um, picture love. What comes to mind for you? I don't know, maybe some are old school and you love your like Nicholas Sparks notebook type movies or um, for many it's the picture of a wedding. Oh, here she comes in the white dress and he's got a fancy tux on. He's never worn a tux in his life, but he looks great today. She'll come down and they'll stare into one another's eyes, seeing the hope and the fulfillment of the future of their marriage together. It's a beautiful picture. Pastor stands up there and talks about love, reads some Bible verses, and we hear this verse, love, and we think of love. Today, and I've never done this before, Jesus said, love your enemies, same kind of love. I want you to view that you hear this very familiar passage, but with the perspective of your enemy in mind, and not a spouse. Jesus says, love is patient. Can you be patient with them? Love is kind. Can you be kind to that person? Love does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. Sometimes our pride gets in the way in the way that we want to respond to others. Are we too proud that we can't just be quiet instead or to love them? It is not self-seeking. It is not dishonor others first. Oh, what I want to say to you and let everybody know how I feel is not dishonor, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. For some of us, that's the hardest one. Jesus, would you help me to have a short memory and stop keeping, keeping track of every wrong thing that they have done to me? Lord, let me instead choose love towards them. It does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and this is a big one, always perseveres. Love never fails. A love that always perseveres and it never gives up. If you were to look at different translations of the Bible to convey this same thought, it always perseveres. Love endures all things. Love keeps going to the end. And I like this. Love endures through every circumstance. Here's the thing. You start loving your enemies, don't expect them to change because of one action of love towards them. The first response they will have is confusion. What are you doing? Why would you do that for me? You keep on loving them, and it endures through all things. Jesus suffered 
on our behalf on the cross, taking all sin upon him, suffering, but in a kind of love that endures through. So it endures through the cross, he goes into the grave. It actually endures through the grave and comes out to resurrection. Long-suffering love will always win. So when we choose to love, we recognize that it is to suffer for the long term and the long haul. Love endures through all things. When I think of this, there's a picture that comes to mind for me. And the picture is of a speech, of an essay from Martin Luther King Jr. Think of his time, think of his context. Think of what they had been doing to him and those like him. He's picturing love enduring through, and he writes these things. To our most bitter opponents, we say, you shall mat- we shall match your capacity to inflict suffering by our capacity to endure suffering. We shall meet your physical force with soul force. Do to us what you will and we shall continue to love you. We cannot in all good conscience obey your unjust laws because non-cooperation with evil is as much moral obligation as is cooperation with the good. Throw us in jail and we will still love you. Bomb our homes and threaten our children and we shall still love you. Send your hooded perpetrators of violence into our community at midnight hour and beat us half dead and we shall still love you. But be ye assured that we will wear you down by our capacity to love. One day we shall win freedom, but not only for ourselves. We shall so appeal to your heart and conscience that we shall win you in the process, and our victory will be a double victory. Loving endures through all things. So how do we do this? practically. First, take Jesus' words, and it's almost broken down into a list. Love your enemies. Do good when people hate you. Bless when they curse and insult you. Give them good words. Pray for those who hurt you. Here's Galen's quick list if you want practical ways. I don't want loving your enemies so often we can put in a category. That's a great abstract philosophical theological thought. I should love my enemies, but Jesus' call is to actually do it. When Jesus says, love your neighbors, he tells the story of the Good Samaritan. It wasn't just like, think nice thoughts towards your neighbor. No, in that story, it was like, take the hurt, broken person, bind them, anoint them with oil for healing, put them in a house, pay their bills. Love requires action. So what would it look like to practically love our enemies? A few words. For me, the best phrase I've come upon. God loves you, I'll pray for you. God loves you, I'll pray. For me, here's what it does. When you're mean to me, I'm pausing, instead of responding how I want to respond, it's the reminder, it's not how I see you, it's how God sees you. And God loves you, so I'm gonna pray for you. And why do I pray for you? Because I wanna pray for you that your heart and your life and your actions and your words might change, and they might, as I'm praying for you, but more than anything, as I pray for you, it is softening my heart towards you. So I pray for you, God loves you, I'll pray for you. For some of you, if you talk as fast as me and you're witty and people are mean to you, you are ready for the comeback. How many of you, you know it, that's you. So I would say to you, hold your tongue and breathe. Neurology even proves when you take a breath, your brain begins to function at a higher level. Slow down, breathe before you respond. I would say avoid passive-aggressive love. Uh, Here's an honest story of a failure. When I first adopted that phrase, uh, God loves you, I'll pray for you. I was like, yeah, that's great, that's a great thought. When people would do things to me that I didn't like, this is awful. To their face, 
hey, listen, that was super awful. Here's what I tell you. God loves you, and I'm gonna pray for you. Because <laughs> you need it. I'm gonna pray for you. I feel like the Spirit gave me the check in your heart, Galen, like, that's awful. That's not showing them who Jesus is. Don't share that with them. And the other one, the next one is very similar. Don't love begrudgingly. Eh, Jesus said I have to love you, so here I am. Well, that shows them Jesus, doesn't it? Philippians 2 says, do everything without grumbling or complaining. I'd also say, avoid making a show of it. Oh yeah, the boss yelled at me, and I just wanted the whole office to know that like, I'm not gonna rise to his level. Look at me, look how good I am. I'm not like him. Remember last week? Those who do things in public for a show already, have already received what they will get. Instead, do things in secret. Then your heavenly Father, who sees those, will reward you for what is done in secret. Next one is very similar as well. Don't make a show of it and avoid responding in group environments. And here's why I say that. Sometimes if somebody does something to you in a group scenario, you will respond with grace and mercy, but because other people are standing there, they feel like they cannot back down. So you can go to them in one-on-one instead. And I'd also say this, pray, pray, pray. The more you pray for a person, the more your own heart towards them will soften. The road from hatred to compassion has walked on the path of prayer. God, as you pray for them, will change your heart so that you will stop holding grudges and instead begin to see them as he sees them. Pray for them. And finally, remember Jesus. When people are awful to us, it should call to mind, wait, man, think of all the things they did to Jesus. I have not yet walked whew, the road that he did. Jesus, if you love them anyway, help me to do the same. God, I can't do this by my own power, but your spirit that lives within me, God, help me to love them. And I want you to make it practical. When your boss yells, if you respond by yelling at them, you look like the world. When your spouse escalates a situation and they're frustrated and they're angry and you rise to their level and you have it out, I don't think that's what God wants for us. When you let the entire world know what he or she did to you, and I'm just gonna tell anyone who will listen how bad they are, does that not look like the world? Yet Jesus says, love those people. So when the boss yells at you and you graciously respond with patience and kindness, even when it's unfair, and especially when it's unfair, that's why it's called grace, that other people in the office will know. And instead of rising to the level of your spouse, if you would listen with an open mind and an open heart, actively listening, actually listening to what's behind it, listening for the heart behind the hurt, what's really going on in you, and your spouse will see that you actually care and have compassion and suffer with them and whatever it is. When you choose to not tell the whole world what he or she did to you, chances are the rest of the world already knows anyway. And so when they see you not doing that, they see that love and mercy and compassion is a choice that they too can make. For if you're angry at me and I'm angry at you, we start this cycle that never ends. But when I forgive you and then you in turn forgive me, we start a forgiveness cycle that never ends and that is how we are supposed to live. Finally today, in the words of Jesus, love, be good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who hurt you. Would you pray with me now? Jesus, we come before you today looking at what seems to be a hard teaching. Jesus, if we're honest, 
We don't want to love those people that have hated us, that you call us to. God, as we choose to love our enemies, would it help us to be a love that is not just an action, a thought, or not just a thought that we have towards them, but God, may it be an action that we actually do and we live that way towards them. God, this week, as things happen in our home, as things happen in our workplace, as things happen as we're going from one place to another, instead of having us quickly respond how the world would respond, would your Holy Spirit living inside of us give us a check in our heart and our mind to say, wait, 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 I'm living within you. And because God, we believe your Spirit lives within us, you are producing within us love and joy and peace and patience with others kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and even self-control. So God, as we respond to others this week, would you help us to choose grace and mercy and compassion towards others? May it be something that is lived out practically. And God, as we do it, would it show the people in our world around us your love to them through us? God, would it also change our hearts as we pray for those that we would rather not pray for? soften our hearts to become your loving, obedient disciples who love the world just like you do. God, soften our hearts to see people as you do. Change us and transform us to be your loving people as you have called us to be. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Hey, thanks again for joining us for the First Naz podcast. If you're interested in what your next step in growing your relationship with God might look like, I'd encourage you to visit us at firstnaz.cc engage, or you can download our app from the App Store, First Nazarene Church. And there you can let us know if you've made a decision for Jesus, or you can also find practical resources to help you grow closer to Jesus. I'd also invite you to subscribe to the podcast if you're not already to make sure that you've always got the latest content. And if you want to, feel free to share this on your social accounts. You never know who else might need to hear today's message as well. Well, thanks again for joining us. Have a great day.